I was raised to believe that the Bible is a book of morals, that it defines good versus evil for us within its pages. In the Garden of Eden, however, there were two trees. The tree that brought death was the tree that contained the question of morals, good versus evil. The other tree was a tree that brought life to all the aid of its fruit, the tree of life. Is it possible that we've been asking the wrong questions, chasing the wrong thing by seeking to be moral? Let's run an experiment. Rather than seeking to define and live by good versus evil, let's flip the question. Let's define life instead. But to do that, we must first seek it out. So join us as we dare our as we seek life. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the Deresh Chai Experiment, the show where we attempt to find the line between futility and righteousness. I'm Marin Bishop here with my beautiful wife, Rebecca. Hey. And uh, today we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. So uh, I think you noticed something, didn't you? <laughs> in the, uh, yeah. My Bible has this extra little verse in chapter 4. That for everybody else's Bible has it in chapter five. Well, I wouldn't say everybody else's. That's fair. So where we're going to start today is verse one in my Bible. I believe my Bible goes with the English numbering of the verses and chapters. Rebecca's Bible, however, goes with the Hebrew numbering of the chapters and verses. And what that means is that sometimes there's a difference between how these verses are numbered. So what for me is... Chapter 5, verse 1, for her, is chapter 4, verse 17. Mm -hmm. So if you are having trouble following along as we're going through. Or um, if you noticed that we read an extra verse and didn't even touch it last week. Then that is the reason why. Um, it's because of this difference in numbering. Um, we should probably point out that the numbering system is not part of the inspiration of Scripture it was Correct. absolutely added to scripture. Um, not that it's in addition to scripture so much as it's just a man-made um, organization of scripture. Right. So the the verses and chapters in the Bible were actually added over the course of about a millennia. 600 to 1200, somewhere around there, is when the chapters and verses were added. And when they went through it, the Jews actually changed, or didn't change, they did it separately, and for the most part, they matched up almost exactly with how the uh, the Latin Vulgate was what was first numbered. But for the most part, they matched up verse and chapter number. But there are a handful of places throughout the Tanakh, throughout the Old Testament, where the verse numberings between the Jewish numbering and the English numbering, or the, the Western numbering, do not match up. Uh, so... And in most places, it's like a verse or two off. Right. In some places, it can get a little bit hairier, but... Right. Like uh, Joel in a lot of ch Bibles has three chapters in it. Well, in I think it's the Hebrew, there's four chapters. They split that third chapter out into a, another, into two chapters. Um, another example, there's like seven verses in Leviticus chapter five and six uh, that get moved from one chapter to the other. So if you were just wondering about that, that's what's going on. Also... Today, chapter five, we have a surprise for you. You want to know what it is? Yeah, 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 I do. So I finished Ecclesiastes today for the Patterns Bible. Yay! Um, for those who don't know, the Patterns Bible, it's a project I've been working on for four years, patternsoflifebible.com. 
we go through and I develop the chiastic structures and patterns that are found throughout the scriptures. And today I finished the book of Ecclesiastes, the first book, in fact, on doing the writings. We actually released the epistles at Passover. So this is the first book that I finished since releasing the epistles. And because we're doing the study, I decided, hey, let's do Ecclesiastes. And as I was going through it, guess what this week's text contains in it? The center of the book. The center of the book. So for those of you who don't know, chiastic structures, when you're examining them, the center is like the high point. It's the it's the focus. It's what everything else revolves around. And this week's chapter has the high point. So as we read through this, see if you can figure out which of these verses, it's actually three verses, serve as the center of the book of Ecclesiastes. And when we come back on the other side. So without further ado. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 Watch your feet when you go to the house of God. Draw near to listen, rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth, nor hasty with your heart, to utter a word in God's presence, for God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore let your words be few. As a dream comes with excessive burdens, so a fool's voice with too many words. When you swear a vow to God, don't delay in fulfilling it, for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better for you not to vow than to vow and not pay. Don't let your mouth lead your flesh to sin, and don't say before the messenger, It was a mistake! Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Many dreams and many words are meaningless, therefore fear God. If you see the oppression of the poor or perversion of justice and righteousness in the province, do not be shocked at the matter. For one authority watches over another authority, and higher ones over them. Though the profit of the land is taken by all, a king is served by the fields. A lover of money never has enough money, and a lover of wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is futile. When goods increase, so do those who consume them. So what advantage are they to the owner, except he sees it with his eyes? The sleep of the laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the excess of the rich permits him no sleep. There is a grievous wrong that I have seen under the sun. Wealth is hoarded by its owner to his own hurt, or wealth lost in a bad investment. And when he fathers a son, there is nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, naked he will return as he came. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. This too is a grievous wrong. Just as he came, so will he go. So what does he gain from his toiling for the wind? So all his days he eats in darkness, and he has much grief, sickness, and humiliation. Behold, this is what I myself have seen. It is beneficial and good for one to eat and drink and to enjoy all of his toil that he labors under the sun during the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his reward. Additionally, everyone to whom God has given riches and wealth and empowers him to eat from it, to receive his share and to rejoice in his labor, this is a gift of God, for he will not often consider the days of his life, since God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart." All right, that was some good stuff. There's so much depth to this chapter. Or to uh, the whole book To the whole general, book, really. right. Uh, especially as it's going through it today and examining the patterns that are in this book. It, it's 
quite fascinating. The play of ideas of Solomon includes in this book as things play off of each other. We can even kind of see some of that, especially when you get near the center of a chiasm. You can really see the play of ideas because you'll have just read something about it before. And so like you get through the center and then it gets into wrong and judgment and oppression and things like that. Things that were in chapter four. Things that we being, just talked about. Yeah, right, they're absolutely. being repeated here in chapter five. But before we get there, let's go back to verse one and... Uh, or verse 17. Or verse 17 of chapter four, <laughs> if that is your uh, translation. Um, if you have a chapter 17, then that's the one you need to go to. If you have a chapter, verse, sorry, if you have um, a If verse, you have a chapter 17, you need a new Bible. <laughs> if you have a verse 17, uh, then that's where you need to go. If, if your chapter four ends at verse 16, then go on to five one. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God and draw near to listen rather than to give the sacrifice of fools. That they is do some, not know what they're doing wrong. They do not know that they do evil, mine says. They're being evil. The sacrifice of fools. Hmm. This is, that's some very steep words. That's some really harsh words. Uh, we see this kind of idea echoed in the book of, I believe it's Micah. It's Micah chapter 6, starting in verse 6 through verse 8. So, with what shall I come before the Lord, bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings and calves a year old? Will God be pleased with a thousand rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? So this verse in Ecclesiastes, it really seems to be, Micah seems to be kind of riffing off of that, uh, of this idea of this verse that God isn't really pleased with improper sacrifice you can sacrifice the fools yeah right you can give sacrifices all day long with a bad heart and you're you're doing evil you're you're committing sin by doing so because it's not the sacrifice that god wants it kind of harkens back a little bit to the golden calf right they weren't worshiping a different god in their behavior well at least in their words they were definitely in their actions, but in their words, they were worshiping the God that brought them out of Egypt. Right. So it was very much a sacrifice of fools. It was not guarding their heart on the way to the house of God. You know, sorry, guarding their feet. It was definitely serving God in the way that they wanted to. Right. The way that they saw other nations worshiping their gods, the way that they, in the foolishness of their hearts, did everything right in their own eyes kind of situation. Right. That's one side of the coin. But then there's this other side of the coin that seems to be going through the motions. Oh, yeah. God's absolutely. asked for sacrifice. So, I'll just, oh, fine, I'll give him a sacrifice. It's the it's I the idea know. of uh, saying the prayer of salvation for, for fire insurance. Yeah. You know, oh, if I say this, then I'm good. Then I don't have to obey. I don't have to be obedient. I don't have to listen when I draw near to the house of God, as verse 1 says. I can I can just come and offer the sacrifice, and then I can go sin again, and then mm-hmm. I'll, I'll just make another sacrifice. It'll be okay. I can continue to sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice, and rivers of blood can run forth from my hand because I can't stop myself, because I, my heart is not near God to obey him and to hear him. And there, I think there's another side to this as well. I guess this coin has three sides because there's the legalistic side as well. Mm. 
Like I am doing these things so exactly that God has to hear me, and I mm, and I right. I am perfect and upright in my in my walk, and God must do what I want because I'm doing things the way He's written to the letter of the law, without actually engaging the heart right. and without actually making a difference to your fellow man. Right. And and that's similar to the idea, to the attitude that the Jews had um, in the the book of Jeremiah when uh, God is commanding, uh, hey, or when God's telling Jeremiah, hey, I'm going to come in and I'm going to wipe this place out and I'm going to destroy the temple. And mm-hmm. they're like, well, but we're sons of Abraham. We're safe. We're safe. Right. God can't hurt us. We're we're his covenant people. We uh, Sure, we can go and do whatever we want. We can break our promises. We can break our covenants. We can, we can even make a covenant right now and then go back on it, as happens in the book of Jeremiah. And God will be okay with it because we're his people. And if that's the that's that legalistic side of it to a degree, but it's yeah, the idea that it's more like um, God loves me, so I can just do what I want. Yeah, ooey gooey grace. Right, that's the hyper grace, even progressive Christian type uh, mentality. Yeah. I, yeah, I've got my my fire insurance. I've got what I want. Nobody's actually going to hell. I can just do what I want. Right. Um, please don't quote me out of context on that. <laughs> the Bible is very clear about the punishment that waits after death mm-hmm. for those who are not of God. What that looks like, most of it's all steeped in metaphor, but that is for a different conversation. So then moving on, it's, it moves into this uh, being careful of your speech. Don't be hasty mm-hmm. with your mouth. Let, let not your heart hurry to bring forth a word before God. God's in the heavens, you're in the earth, so... Be quiet. In other words, don't don't be so hasty in vowing that you're going to do things. And and I think this mm-hmm. comes through through vows. Well, when we use the previous verse, draw near to listen. Mm, right. It it kind of makes me think of the adage: you need to listen to hear, not listen to retort or respond. Right. There's a bit of that. You know, it's like let your words be few. Listen more than you speak. Right. Well, and let's face it, how many of us actually know people like that? Every single one of you knows a chatty Cathy. Yep. Uh, that type of person that'll just talk and talk and talk. They never think about There's, what they're saying. The filter The filter is, is completely broken. gone. And it's, yeah, and they'll just talk your ear off. And in that talking, there's a lot of misstatements. There's a lot of false statements. False statements. Some of the people I'm thinking of specifically, there's a lot of pride. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of look at me, look at me, look how good I am. I know, I know things, and so I'm going to tell you all what I know, type stuff. Yep. There's. And uh, I mean, I'm, I know several people right. that could fit that description. And I mean, we've done it ourselves. Oh, it's a hard. It's easy thing to do. It is super easy to do, especially when you're when you've been convicted of something and you want to make it right it's easy to take a vow that you later regret mm-hmm. to say well i vow i'm never gonna do this thing again and then a few days later you're like well, never did, did i really mean never yeah it's so hard to know kind of where to draw that line and uh, just be careful with your words well and this whole thing it, I mean, Yeshua basically says the same thing. Right. You know, 
you you should fulfill your vows. Right. And it's it's better that you don't vow at all if right. you're not going to keep it. Yeah, let your yes be yes and your no be no and anything else is of the evil one. That actually confuses me because I think that I think that vows are a good thing and yet we see that comment of let your yes be yes and your no be no. I think that the comment will don't even vow if you're not going to keep it does not mean that making a vow and keeping it is a bad thing. No, I, I don't think that's even what Yeshua is getting at in that statement. I think he's really talking about people who are constantly making vows or people who are making rash vows. The preacher comes to, or the missionary comes and gives you the sob story and, oh, I'm going to donate to them $500 a month for the next 12 months. Mm. And then you go home and a few days later you're like, wait, wait, did I really write on that donation card $500 a month? What was I thinking? You know, uh, right. that is not an actual situation from our lives. That was just a, <laughs> a, uh, a, an example, though, of a rash vow. That's a, it's a type of vow that you can you be enticed to take. Only four simple payments of $14.99. Call now. <laughs> that type of vow. The, the salesmen are very good at getting you to, to enter into those emotional type vows. Yeah, and there are quite a few religious salesmen out there. <laughs> that is the absolute truth. So it's and it's you know when they're playing that that call to the altar music mm -hmm. and they're tugging at your heart tugging at your heartstrings and yeah, it's very easy to make a rash vow. Right. I know that as my, in my youth, I walked down the aisle many, many, many times. You know because I. Because that emotion got stirred up. Yeah, the up. emotion got stirred up. I don't know how yeah. many times I got saved walking down the aisle. <laughs> right. You well, know. Probably once. Well, <laughs> you get my point. I, it, it, right. was, it, wasn't, it wasn't a real thing. It was just me walking down the aisle because right. the emotion was there. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, going on, verse 3, verse 4. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he takes no pleasure in fools Pay that which you have vowed. It is better not to vow than to vow and not pay. And there's that, that quote from Yeshua. And even from, uh, I think it's Deuteronomy. Do not allow your mouth to cause your flesh to sin, nor say to the angel of God that it is a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Those three verses there, ladies and gentlemen, that is the center, the chiastic center of the book of Ecclesiastes. And what a center that is throughout this entire philosophy, this contemplation of the physical reality of, of the earth, and this exploration of the material uh, experience of the wisest man that ever lived. And the center of it doesn't really have to do with the material at all. It has to do with your voice, the, the most ephemeral part of you. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Is, is the center of this work. And it's the center that is, it's the focus of the book. All of the all of the physical things in the book they revolve around the center of be careful with your words. This warning, mm -hmm. and, and it's well, when and you it think really of is it, a warning more than it is just a, like throughout the rest of the book he's contemplating ideas and looking for the good and the evil in them, and this is it's just straight up warning. Mm -hmm. When you think of it in light of the fact that he has looked at everything from a materialistic perspective so far. Mm -hmm. and you're talking about vows that you make with your mouth, he's saying, hey, don't don't vow away 
your the work of your hands. Don't vow away your material possessions. Don't vow away these things on a rash vow mm-hmm. and then not do it. Right. It's not so much the don't, don't make the vow. Make the vow. I think that there's a lot of blessing in making a vow and keeping it, but don't make a vow that you are not capable of keeping. Watch your tongue. Watch your mouth. Make sure that your heart isn't led astray and and kind of expounding from there. Don't speak too much. Don't speak too much at all. Not just in the vow. Listen to what God has to say. Right. Draw near to him. And all of this, it really just highlights something that I've spoken of before in this podcast is the importance of your words. There's a power to the things that we say. Now I'm not going to say it's like name it and claim it, or it's the, um, the law of attraction or anything like that. That's all, that's all just BS, but there is truly a power to the things that you say that the tongue is mightier. The pen is mightier than the sword. Words have power. Creation happened through word. It is the, thing that began everything it is the word of god that we hold dear it is the word of god that we learn the most from it's the word of god that is the sword that's our offensive weapon when it comes to fighting the enemy and and so we have to be careful with our words james even talks about taming the tongue how impossible it is it's such a small member and yet it controls the the entire ship like it, it can it can move nations it, it can raise riots just two days ago was it was released by politico that roe v wade may possibly be overturned those few words exploded the are nation. exploding the nation right now and right. people are getting ready to riot in the streets and protests are it's going really all just over the place. one word overturned that's it right that's what's blowing up the nation right and it's not that they're doing away with abortion it's just that they're handing it off to the states and saying let the states decide Mm -hmm. and yet people are freaking out about it that oh my goodness we won't be able to kill our babies anyway i don't want to get too political in this but but just the idea of that those few words that one word overturned and the fallout that's coming from that word right And when we look back at verse two in mind, as a dream comes Uh, with excessive burdens, so a fool's voice with too many words. We see immediately, we see this, the chiasm there, because verse seven, for in much dreaming and many words, there is futility. We see that many words and dreaming being repeated Mm -hmm. immediately after the center. And that's how you know you're at the center of a chiasm is when you see the nestled by two ideas that are reflected immediately on either side. So, verse 8, verse uh, 7 for you. Mm-hmm. If you see the oppression of the poor and denial of justice and righteousness in a province, do not be astonished at the matter. For a higher than the high is guarding, and there are higher ones over them. And the increase of the land is for all, and the king himself is served from the field. Uh, he's basically talking about there's always someone better. There's always someone in authority over everyone, including the king. Mm-hmm. Even the king is beholden to the land to get his food. Even the king is beholden to God, and that's something we're going to see a lot more here at the in the last half of the of the book. Is this idea of the authority of God over the king? We'll see that re- reflected several more times throughout the rest of the book. And this is talking about the perversion of justice and righteousness. And right. don't be shocked. Why should we not be shocked? Because one authority is over another authority. What what does that mean? Because there's a higher authority that's going to call them into account. Eventually, the 
ultimate authority exactly. will call them to account. Exactly. But that's kind of what he's getting at is there, there's always an authority above whatever authority you see here on earth. There's always going to be an authority above them. And even if it's a dark authority, uh, such as a principality or power, as Ephesians 6 speaks of them, even above them, there's another authority. And the ultimate authority overall is God himself. And so you know so, that justice will be had one day. Yeah. And so don't be shocked when, you know. When you see the injustice. When you see the injustice. When right. you see the babies being killed. Eh, don't let it shock you. Let it sadden you. Let it grieve you. Don't let it shock you so much because you know that man is evil and wicked. And you know that God will hold them accountable. Hold those who do wickedness and evil accountable for their actions. But even even verse verse nine, the the increase in the land is for everybody, and the king himself is served from the field. Uh, it's without the land, even the king doesn't have anything. He's not self sufficient, uh, right? And God's the one who brings forth from the field. He can't produce it for himself. He is he is beholden to his people, right? Ultimately, uh, and then continuing on changes topic again. He who loves silver is not satisfied with silver, and he who loves wealth. And increase in that is futile with the increase of goods. And so he, he goes on into uh, the obsession with wealth. Uh, and we kind of talked about that in, yeah, in we've chapter talked about four. Yeah, we've talked about that before, right, uh, because this is the other side of the chiasm. Right, exactly. But yeah, the idea of being obsessed with your wealth, being obsessed with earning and earning and earning and uh, it consuming you. It's like a, a line from a movie uh that I watched that was uh, the things you owned end up owning you. Yeah. It, it's a proverb that has stuck with me for a very long time. And it, it's a truth. And, and the sleep of the laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the excess of the rich permits him no sleep. That is, I mean, when we do a, a hard day's work, mm -hmm. you know, we're exhausted. Right. And, Sometimes I've been, quite frankly, so exhausted, I don't want to eat. I'm so tired. Right. I just want to go to sleep. And I sleep hard. Right. But I think it might also be that the, the rich man generally has a lot of irons going. He's yeah. got a lot of things in the fire. He's got a lot of meetings. He's got a lot of, of stuff he's got to do. There's always something more to do. Or to worry about. You're right. Contrary to the Hollywood ideal, uh, riches rarely come with leisure. Right. Uh, riches almost always come with increased responsibility. And for those who love money, that increase in riches also means an increase in worry about securing your riches, mm -hmm. uh, trying to keep them safe from those who would take advantage of you or those who are going to try and. And the simple guy living in his shack goes out, works, goes home, eats, you know, yep. enjoys his family, gets up, goes home, goes out to work. His his worries are few. He's living bare sustenance, but he's got everything he needs. Right. And, you know, I think that that's, that is a principle that we can really truly look to because it is the, statistically speaking, it is the poorest people who give the most because they recognize, I don't really have that many needs. Right. My needs are met. Yeah. It's the wealthy that are saying, No, I have to keep, I have to hold on to, I can't I've give away. I've got to get more. If I don't if I don't keep it, then I'm not going to you know, I'm not gonna succeed. You don't right. you don't succeed by giving it all away. You know, I've literally heard that said multiple times. And and while there is some 
some truth to that. The most wealthy people in the world give away a vast amount of their wealth. Yeah, they do. John Cash Penny is a J.C. Penny is a good example of that. He as he grew more wealthy, he gave more away until he was giving away 99% of his income by the time he died. And he was still making personally millions of dollars a year. Yeah. And it's not just a, a religious thing either. I mean, uh, there's a lot of evidence that even those who aren't particularly religious see a value in giving, giving back, you know, giving to the community, giving away. And it truly is a principle, but you know, it's, it's that idea of, I really don't need all of this for myself. I really don't need to be so consumed with my belongings that I can't see the need in others. So you remember the, uh, the guy in chapter four, who was uh, working and working and working with no one to give it to yep. and acquiring and accruing and compi- and piling up. Mm-hmm. Well, in verse 13, we read about the other guy. Ah. The guy who has children, and yet through his evil, he spends everything. Riches kept for the owner for his evil, but those riches perish through his evil use. And so he's a very bad steward of his of his goods. And he blows it all on everything. And he brings forth a son and there's nothing in his hand to give to the son. It's the opposite side of the coin from that guy from the last chapter. Mm-hmm. This um, this man who has children, he has wealth, he earns his wealth, but then he squanders it all on evil living. Big house, the, the big car, the... Um, the, or a bad investment. Right. The the multiple wives that are all gold diggers, the multiple divorces that he's got to spend it all on, the bad investments trying to make more money, it, it, whatever it is, it, it blows it all and there's nothing left to pass on to his children. So that's the corollary evil to, I hate to say evil because the one who doesn't have children and, and just accrues wealth isn't evil. He's just futile. Right. And so in, is, so is this. I think that's more futile than it is necessarily evil. Well, in, in verse 13, there's the sickly evil I've seen under the sun, is what mine says. Verse 12, what does yours say? Grievous wrong. There is a grievous wrong. Right. So yours calls it a grievous wrong. Mine calls it a sickly evil. Whatever it is. But then verse 15, it, he came naked from his mother's womb, and so he returns to go as he came. And from his labor, which he goes into his hand, he takes nothing whatsoever. Uh, you can't take it with you, in other mm-hmm. words. Mm-hmm. You're gonna you're gonna return to the earth just as with just as little as you came with, in with, and this too is uh, Solomon calls a grievous evil, exactly as he came, so he goes, and so what gain has he had since he toiled for the wind? Again, all that toil, all that gaining, all that accruing, you can't take it with you. This is another grievous evil: is is just spending your time pursuing wealth. Right. Uh, he hits that so hard throughout this entire book. He hit it in chapter two with, I've got all these possessions and all these great things and I can't take them with me. And they're, I can't, I can't help but think that he's talking to himself. Oh, he probably is. You know, because he did pursue wealth. He had so much wealth and yet. 
Well, right. You have to imagine him at the end of his life, walking through his opulent palace with his zoo and his wives and his all of these, the giant throne of ivory and the gold-plated walls and the shields of gold all over the wall and everything that he'd crewed, his vast wealth that's just so overabundant. And realizing, yeah, realizing I can't take it with me. Right. And probably realizing as well, my heir is a terrible person, <laughs> yep. <laughs> which we read of in the, the first Kings chapter. I think it's 11 or 12. It might even be after that when uh, Rehoboam takes over the kingdom. So that I think that feeds into what he's saying here about the, the evil of wealth is he's been there. He's mm-hmm. done it. He's lived it. And he's at the end of his life and he's saying, maybe it would have been better for me to just live in a hovel. Or not and, been born. And work in the fields. <laughs> And be able to sleep at night and not have to worry about all of this. Right. You have to wonder if he actually slept very well. Well, you know, I this is something that I noticed many years ago. But when you see the president of the United States when he's first inaugurated. Mm. And then you compare that image to four years later. Right. Just the absolute weight there's a that lot has of... been on that that man's shoulders for that long. Yeah. It it ages, physically ages, and it's yep. not it's not 4 years aging. It is many 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 yeah, more it's, years it's of age. Decades of age. Put on a person. And if they last in that 8 kind years, of, it's even worse. Right. But in that kind of a a position and that's the United States. That's not you know, I mean King Solomon was king over the world, basically. Basically, A lot of people will point to Assyria as the first empire, but I think Israel was the first true empire, the one that ruled over all the nations around them and had vassals under him. I mean, they mm-hmm. ruled over Edom, they ruled over Tyre, they ruled over uh, most of the, the Middle East. And then Assyria came in and, and kind of took over. Mm-hmm. And then... Babylon and then Persia and then Greece and then Rome and right. you know the the cycle of empires rolled on down the ages until today. Right. As this great man with great power and great wealth and yeah, it had to weigh on him. You're right, the presidents do age very quickly. But yeah, so Solomon's here at the end of his life looking at everything going that was such a waste to do that. I I lost so many hours of sleep. I lost so much comfort and joy, even though I overindulged in everything. And there, there's a joy in just being simple and having simple pleasures. Mm-hmm. It is beneficial and good for one to eat and drink and to enjoy all of his toil that he labors under the sun during the few days of his life that God has given him. Right. For this is his reward. Yeah. It's absolutely it. Right. Further, when God has given any man riches and wealth and permitted him to enjoy them and to receive his portion and rejoice in his labor, this is a gift from God. So he's not saying that wealth is inherently evil, which is a qualification that nearly everybody always makes. You read the verse of, uh, do not serve money, for you cannot serve two masters. Right. And it'll always be followed up with that qualification of, not that money's bad, though. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> nearly every time there's or, that qualification that comes the, along you know, afterwards. The one that's 
The love of money is the root of all evil. Not that money is bad, though. It's the love of money. and But it's the truth. Uh, and Solomon himself here is making the same qualification. He's, saying, mm-hmm. he's, he's talking about the love of money in these various ways. And then he says, uh, but if God has given you wealth, then it's a blessing from God. Enjoy it. Well, I mean, Abraham was one of the most wealthiest right. men that there were at the time. And right. so, yeah, absolutely. And Yeshua's ministry not- never would have survived without wealthy patrons uh, helping him to to be able to go on and well not just yeshua's ministry but paul's and peter's and i mean all all of them were were benefited by wealthy patrons so the wealth is not a sin when it is used in a proper context and to receive his share and rejoice in his labor so it's not just you know he's He's finding the same pleasure in the same things, regardless of wealth. Right, exactly. And and I think that's kind of the point that Solomon's getting at, is it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter what station you find yourself in, whether you're the, the day laborer sleeping in a hovel, or whether you're the king of the land. You can find your joy and pleasure in the same place and in the same things. And that's that's as simple as it is. The things that you do have, God has given them to you as a gift. Enjoy them. Yeah, and the last verse, For he will not often consider the days of his life, since God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart. We don't know which he he's talking about here. I think it's both. It's it's the day laborer and the wealthy. Right. It's the, you know, it's the... What does mine say? Just the one who... And who eats and drinks and enjoys life. That is the benefit. That is the gift of God. Right. Yeah. It's that, it's that being able to look back on your life and to just focus on the good things. Seeing those precious moments of camaraderie, of family, of relationship, of, of joy, not in achievement, not in wealth, not in greatness or exercise of power, but just in, in existence and, and in living and in community being and alive with people right fellowship just yeah. experiencing life together right yeah. and i think that's kind of where solomon ends this uh he ends this this chapter although technically he didn't end the chapter as we said before <laughs> right the he chapter end was this ended, section right the chapter was ended there um with that thought that the man who's at the end of his life and can look back and can look back on his life and remember those those good and joyous moments, just the simple pleasures. That is a man who has recognized the gift from God mm-hmm. and who can die in peace. Absolutely. So yeah, Solomon, man, he is, he's deep. He Absolutely. is, he is very and, deep. And we get, this amazing blessing to read the words of the wisest man perhaps the first philosopher ever you know literally centuries and centuries later right and it still has meaning today right millennia later solomon lived uh around 900 bc yeah that's a long time that's ago. almost three thousand years ago it's been a minute yeah it's been quite a few minutes <laughs> <laughs> so anyway yeah but he was the wisest man ever 
the first mm-hmm. philosopher, the first emperor, the uh, the first the one who built the temple for God, and uh, a man of many moods, uh, especially if you read his other books, including Proverbs mm-hmm. and uh, Song of Solomon. Yeah, he lived and he did things <laughs> and he thought deeply about them. Mm-hmm. And uh, we we reap the benefit of that. So with that, remember, watch over your words and think back on the good things. Don't re- Don't focus on the evils of your life. Don't focus on the pursuit of things that don't hold any eternal value and don't focus on the hardship of your labor focus on the fruits of your labor the good that it brings a job well done with that just remember seek life in all all that that you do do. shalom thank you for tuning in to Darish Kai if you would like to find out more or support this ministry head over to seeklifesc.com that's seeklifesc.com We'll see you again next time as we dare as we seek life. Shalom.